Some of you might know, if you've been to the seminar stream, it's a seminar stream looking at big issues that came off prayer cards last year. We looked at the biggest issues that people were facing and we said, we're going to have a look at those. And this is what this seminar stream is all about. It's real life, real questions, real answers. I'll let Katie, my wife, introduce her talk in a moment. As you'll see, bless her, she's seven months pregnant, so she needed Gaviscon to get her through this preach. So, so uh, pray for us because uh, she's got a bit of heartburn. Um, <laughs> we've, um, we're, we've been really privileged in this seminar stream to God, see God move powerfully. Um, people have responded amazingly well, and we've heard some great stories about how people are encountering God in this space, but across the whole, the whole showground. But, but particularly, God's meeting with people here. And actually, we've got an expectancy that God's going to meet with you today, actually, and we want to give space to that. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to my beautiful, wonderful wife, Katie. And I'm just, before I start, I'm going to um, just plug again our question and answer session on Saturday. And this is our new day number, 07957611025. If you've got any questions that you're too well, a bit sensitive to, to ask, completely understandable, please text them in. We've had a couple of corkers already. Um, who was here for Damien's talk yesterday? Well, really, I should be asking who wasn't. It was, like, packed. Um, we had a question, quite a deep, serious question, actually, um, that if God is all-loving and powerful, why is Damien's hairline the way it is? <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's, that's a, real, a real question and a real-life issue, which Damien has to live with and needs an answer. So we're going to think and pray about that and do our best to answer it. So please feel free to text in. Or if you don't want to text in or you haven't got your phone or it's dead in the bottom of your bag somewhere, then... Uh, there's loads of bits of paper around here. Just find a bit of paper, write a question on it, and give it to me or any one of the other guys in the team. Okie cokes. So, today, today's talk is hope for the future. And actually, my brief when I was given this brief was, Kate, I want you to talk about hope for the future in light of forgiveness. So that's kind of where I'm going So I'm going to be talking about our hope for the future in light of our forgiveness. But before I start... Um, I was thinking about, yep, our, our future hope. Um, how, how can I start to talk about hope with young people and myself, really? What does the world say about hope? And I came across a quote by Mahatma Gandhi, and he says, your future depends on what you do today. Your future, your future hope, depends on what you do today. That's pretty convincing, isn't it? That's a pretty convincing piece of advice. What you do will define what, where you will end up in your life. What you do today will define your future. And then I thought, nah, that's not quite right. Because the truth of the Bible says, if you are a Christian, your future is not determined by what you do today or tomorrow or next year. Your future was defined before the creation of the world. Your future was defined and decided by God before he'd even set plans in place for the foundation of the earth, before you were even conceived in God's mind. He knew what your future would be. This is what the Bible says about your future. Oh, I've lost my train ticket bookmark. And another one. Whoops. I'm actually going to need these. I'm reading, I'm reading from Ephesians. You don't need to get your Bibles, I'll read it out. 
So Ephesians says about our hope, it says, Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And this is what he chose us for, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He wanted to. He wanted to do that to the praise of his glorious grace. That grace he's freely given us in the one that he loves. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished upon us. And so if you are a Christian here today and you believe that, just just get this straight. Your future isn't dependent upon what you do. Actually, your eternal future, the future that really matters, the hope and the future you need to ground your life in was decided before you were even born. And that hope and that future is based in being loved by God and adopted by him to be his son and his daughter. Okay, now this is a, this is a big theological principle. Okay, and the reason, that, the reason that God predestined us this way is he knew that in order for us to have a meaningful relationship with him, in order for him to not just create robots that would love God automatically, he'd have to create us to be free, to have choice to love him or disobey him and turn against him. And he knew in order to be, to be really in relationship, we'd be free and that we would rebel. Okay? All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us in our hearts, we do go astray from God. In fact, we have gone astray from God. So his plan before he made us was to heal that wound. Before he'd even made us, he knew he'd have to heal that wound. And it's for his good pleasure he wanted to sacrifice his own son to heal that wound so that we could be brought close again to God, so that we could be called sons and daughters. So before we were even made, he knew there'd be a break and he knew how to fix it. And he knew that fix-up would be how we could have hope, how we could be born on this earth and not be left as orphans, not be left in the miry pit of our own sin. Okay, because that's what life without God is. That's what the opposite of having hope in God is. It's being dead. Later on in Ephesians, the next chapter, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, while all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God is rich in mercy, made us alive even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it's by grace you've been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus. So we were dead. God knew we'd be dead. And he's called us to hope. He's called us to life in Christ. And he wanted to do it. And that's your inheritance. That's your future. That's our hope. But have you noticed, since maybe you've accepted Christ, or maybe you haven't, And I'd say, get your thinking hats on. You want this. You want Christ. You don't want to be dead. You want life, believe me. And if you've not made that jump from death to life, 
Do it. Do it today. Do it at New Day at some point. Do it. Come from death to life. But have you noticed if you've made that jump already, you don't wake up with rainbows outside your window every morning. You don't see smiley, happy emoji cons all around you just in a hallucination of joy and happiness. Life's really hard, isn't it? And this positional truth about you has happened. You were dead and now you're alive, but life is still really hard. And we need something to help us walk this journey, to walk towards this hope so that it is real to us. And we need faith, okay? We need to translate this hope that we have into everyday life. And I believe that is the Bible calls faith. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So who's physically seen themselves be washed clean by Jesus? Who has seen them? Who who has witnessed themselves actually physically being reborn as a new person? These are the sort of spiritual truths the Bible talks about in relation to our hope that we have in him. But we haven't seen it, have we? Who's ever, who's seen the end of their life and the journey that it's going to take them to get to the future hope that we have? Who's seen, who's seen that all the points in their life that lead to this future hope actually are for their good? Has anyone seen that? Has anyone seen their life played out? Maybe you have. Maybe you've gone to a tarot reader and seen it. In which case, don't listen to it. It's occult. It's good. Not, not good. Okay, but... These are spiritual truths. These are spiritual realities that the Bible talks about happens to us. We've been reborn. We've been cleansed. We've been washed. And all things do work together in this life for our good. But for us to really understand that and to believe that, we've got to have faith. The reason we don't, the reason we don't receive all of this future hope all at once in one, one huge payment is because God wants to go on a journey with us in life. When, when we cross that divide from death to life, God calls us into a relationship with him and he calls us to be on a journey and he wants us to walk closely with him. He wants to walk closely with us through, through our lives. It's, it's a massive adventure. Um, and on our way to New Day here, we've come down from Lancaster, which was about a five-hour trip with two kids. It was great fun. And Scott thought it would be a great idea to start talking to me in the car about... Okay, I just um, I've been thinking, and um, should both of us die, what are we going to do with the kids? <laughs> I was like, oh, great, Scott. It was a really cheery chat for getting to New Day. Um, and he's an accountant, and um, it's very numbers-focused. So he's already put lots of plans in place and found the best deal for life insurance. So um, if he dies, I get a massive payout. Like, seriously big. I really hope it doesn't happen. Really. Love you. Love you. Um, And if we both die, I think we get even more. But our, our kids will get loads of money. And that's really good, right? Because our kids are going to have to go and live somewhere. I think we decide it's going to be my sister, isn't it? Yeah, you love my sister. Yeah, bit of a love-hate relationship. <laughs> but the kids will probably go be my sister. And so my sister's going to need loads of money, isn't she, to look after our children. But we're not just going to give my sister all the money, because she'll probably go shopping. <laughs> no, she won't. No. She'll have to get a bigger house. She'll have to look after our children. There's, you know, we've got two. There's another one on the way. So 
Um, Scotch decided we're going to put a load of money in a trust fund for the kids. So they'll get a big, huge chunk of money. And they'll know, oh, I don't know, my sister might tell them, they'll probably know about it, they'll have this chunk of money, and every so often little bits will be released to them for things they might need. So we're, we're probably expressing a will that we'd like them to have driving lessons and buy a first car, and if they want to go to uni, we'll, we want some of that money to be released so they can pay fees or whatever they want to go travelling. And that's a bit, a bit what it's like with our future hope. It's, it's, a, it's ours, all of it, a huge chunk of goodness is ours. But we're working towards it. The children will have a huge chunk of money that's theirs. And in their life, they'll be working towards it. And in God, he, reveal, he, gives, us some of, he gives us his goodness and his grace and his mercy tied up in this hope. He releases it to us as we journey with him. But we need faith to believe that. It's all very well me saying that. And the Bible says that. But that's hard to feel, isn't it? It's hard to feel when you're going through the hard times. It's hard to, it's hard to understand and hold on to when you can't really see the money. You can't see the hope. It's somehow being jaded and shaded by life's, life's issues. But I say at this point, when you... When you can believe that, and I'm, I'm living testimony of that, I can say that. God has revealed it to me. I know it. I know my hope in him. It lives with me. His spirit lives with me. And I know, I know the hope that I'm called to. And when, when you know that, you can, you can have joy and peace. And you can know that whatever you face in life, you're going to be okay. Okay. So why, do we, why, why sometimes can we find that hard? Well, as I've said, yeah, because life is tough, things come up, and we're going to talk about that later. Um, I just want to appeal to you again. If, if, you, if you believe for the first time that God has raised you from a cesspit of sin and death, if you can believe that God saw you at your worst, saw the thoughts in your mind, saw the attitudes in your heart of hatred towards other people, Saw, you know, saw you at worst. If you can trust that he saw you, but he chose to lavish love on you and kindness and mercy. You know the story of the prodigal son where the father comes running out to his, his dirty, disobedient son. He runs to him and he, he clothes him with clothes he doesn't deserve to wear. He puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and he throws a party and he lavishes kindness and grace to him. That's what happened at your salvation. So if you can, if you can believe that then really you've got to believe he's not going to then leave you for the rest of your life. You, you don't need to worry you're just going to fail at life and fall flat on your face. Oh, but oh well, when I die it'll be all right. God hasn't raised you from, from death to life to then leave you to muddle your way through life's hurts and problems. He's with you. He wants to journey with you. And so... This, this is the first response point. This is the thing I want you to think about if you need this. If you're struggling to translate this future hope that you've got to everyday life, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to know truly inside that God who saved you is your Father. And he is a good, good Father. That's who he is. It's who he is. He's a good, good Father. And, he, and you are loved by him. And the Spirit makes that truth alive in you. And now it gets serious. 
because this hope that we've been called to, this reality that we've come from death to life, actually can be robbed from us quite easily. And firstly, before I go into how it can be robbed, I studied theology for my degree, and I get really passionate about theology because it's, it actually underpins everything that we believe. And when you understand that God is three persons, he's the Father, he's the Son, and the Spirit, he's a relational dynamic, he's three ways all the time. And when we were, when we were risen with Christ, we're caught up in that three-way relationship, and he calls us to, to love him, to love ourselves, and to love others. So this future hope means that we are brought into right relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. Okay, and this talk is about hope in light of forgiveness. So I want to shift now slightly to how a lack of understanding of forgiveness can rob us of our hope. We need to understand we're forgiven by God. Therefore, we need to understand we need to forgive ourselves and we need to forgive others. And this is just like the conditions that comes with the relationship that we're called to. This is the way God works. And he says, you need to be obedient in this. This is who I am, and this is what I need you to do. I need you to receive forgiveness from me. Forgive yourselves, therefore, and forgive others. And so I'm going to use a couple of stories now. Um, yeah, but before I say that, I'll just say again, if I can, if I can convince you that um, Jesus has saved you and you, want, and you want to receive that that's fantastic, that would be like great I'll put the mic down and go home to my tent and lay down, it'd be great knowing that you've received Christ but if I was to end it there and to not talk about how, f- how you need forgiveness of yourself and for others you're going to walk out of this shed and you're going to come unstuck really quickly you can believe that hope but this issue of forgiveness is so crucial to walking in that hope and it's something that trips us up time and time again so I want to talk uh, about two examples um, from the life of David, because this seminar stream has been looking at the life of David, and a lot of our s- talks have kind of overlapped, and we've been using the same stories. But that's okay, because I think I'm going to bring out different parts. Um, first of all, I want to talk about the story, the bit in David, um, where he you know, messes up with Bathsheba. So just really briefly re- recap, you all know the story, I'm sure. But if you don't, you can, read about what, you can read about the life of David in 1 and 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. And I would just say, if you find it difficult to read the Old Testament, I did. It's a bit clunky, reads a bit weird. Um, I use the New Living Translation sometimes for reading the Old Testament. Or you could read the message, because it just the story flows. You can read it like a book then. Um, and actually, I read 1 and 2 Samuel on holiday. And it's pretty juicy, <laughs> It's probably a bit better than Downton Abbey and Hollyoaks. Honestly, I'd recommend read it from start to finish. It's, an, it's like, whoa, amazing stories. Juicy. So David, David's a king. Oh, yeah, he's a king at, at this point. And he sees a pretty lady and he says, hey, pretty lady, come and lay with me. And she gets pregnant. And that's obviously really, really naughty because he's married to like seven other women or something. But she's actually also married. Um, and she gets pregnant. And he thinks, oh, crap, she's pregnant. Quick, let's get her husband to come home. I'll try and convince him to go and sleep with her so that she thinks it's his baby and I've got away with it. But it doesn't go to plan because her husband doesn't sleep with her. 
And um, so he says, right, what I'll do then is I'll kill her husband. If I can't cover it up, I'll just make the problem go away and I'll have him killed. So he sends this guy out to the front line in battle and uh, this lady's husband dies. That's pretty manky, pretty horrible. Um, and then he, he lives with this for a while and, he, and this lady is, is pregnant with a baby and uh, amazingly, God doesn't leave him to get away with it because God actually loves David. God actually loves us. And when we are left... When we return to sin, God doesn't leave us there. He, he brings people to come to us and confront us. And what happens is a guy called Nathan comes to David and confronts him. And David does a really good thing. He repents straight away. He's like, dang, I've been caught. This is a big one. This is a real biggie, but I've been caught. So he repents. He gets on his knees and he repents. And this, this is what repentance looks like, guys. If I can find it, because my little train ticket came out. So this is what Nathan says. Uh, Nathan says, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Uh, What you did in secret, I will do in daylight before all of Israel. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Good move, David. And this is in in Psalms, we see his prayer of repentance. And he's saying, oh God, have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He says, cleanse me and I'll be clean. Wash me, God, and I will be white. Let me hear joy and gladness again. Let the bones that have been crushed rejoice. Please don't hide your face from my sins. Please blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and a new and steadfast spirit within me. Please don't cast your presence from me or take your Holy Spirit from me. And this is what can happen when we sin, is actually we feel the Holy Spirit leave us. We feel that, that affinity to the hope that we might have when we, when we persist in sin or we do, we do bad stuff. We feel the Holy Spirit leave us. We feel that lack of intimacy with our Father in heaven. And repentance is a fantastic place to start. You've got to own it, guys. We've got to own it. When we mess up, we've got to own it. And this is what David does. He owns it. And then what he does is astonishing. I find, this, I find it really challenging what he does. I'm going to read you the story from this point. It's not very long. So David says, oh, I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. So God says, so it's okay. I still love you. I've taken it away. You're mine. I love you. We're in relationship. You have sinned. I've taken that sin away. But because by doing this, you've shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Ouch. That's a massive consequence. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. And David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. 
And David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, well, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child's actually dead? He might do something desperate. And David noticed that his attendants were whispering amongst themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. This is so Downton Abbey, isn't it? It's like, all these attendants. It's it's a juicy story. This is real. Is the child dead, he said. And they said, yes, he is dead. So David got up from the ground after he'd washed, put on some lotions, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. Then he went to his own house. And at his request, they served him food and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and eat. David answered, well, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord might be gracious to me and let the child live. But now the child is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back? No, I I might go to him, but he will not return to me. So then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. He went to her, made love to her. She gave birth to a son. And they named him Solomon. That is amazing. He's done a terrible, terrible thing. The Lord has confronted him, disciplined him, taken his child away. But what does he do? He repents. He mourns. And then he gets over it. And he moves on with his life. Because he recognizes that God has taken his sin and he loves him. He's confronted him about a massive mistake in his life, which has got huge consequences. But he doesn't let that deter him from the hope that he has in God. He doesn't, he doesn't let that incidence of real sin rob him of his future inheritance. He knows that God is really for him and loves him and has his future planned. And what he does in this life won't detract from that. Because his future isn't determined by what he does or doesn't do. His future is determined by God's immense, passionate love for him and the plans he has for him. So he is able to literally dust himself off, go and eat, and go and try and make amends with the woman that he's had this child with that's died. doesn't say much more about that, but I can imagine that's not going to be an easy situation. But you see, as the story of David goes on, some good stuff happens. You know, he's all right. So he doesn't wallow, he doesn't doubt God's love for him, he's not, he's not, he doesn't allow the hope to be robbed from him. He finds relief when he's challenged. How many of us find relief when we're caught out in sin? How many of us when someone says, do you know, I just want to talk to you about something, I've, I've noticed this, or uh, you know when you said that to me the other day, were you actually really telling me the truth then? You know, actually, how many of us have got real friends that do that? They're actually few and far between friends that will really challenge you. It's probably teachers that do it or parents, maybe. But how many of us enjoy that rebuke? How many of us like that? But actually, that's God's discipline. That's part of being on a journey with God is allowing him to discipline you and to bring things up to you, to bring you your sin right in your face and say, oh, excuse me, I need you to look at this because this isn't how I want you to live. And it's not easy, but it's good for us. And we can respond by wallowing. No, I'm terrible, I'm awful, I'm useless, I know I did it. And sometimes that can be a bit of a defense mechanism to not actually face it. But the truth is, is that God has forgiven us, so you've got to forgive yourself. Don't wallow, just say, yeah, 
I did it. Have a sense of true repentance from your heart. I've made a mistake and I need to own up. I need to own it and, and move forward. But don't, don't, don't wallow. Don't stay in it. And you must forgive yourself. Actually, we need to be obedient in that. God has forgiven us. Otherwise, what we're saying is, yes, Jesus, you died for me on the cross. And your bloodshed took away, you say, your blood took away all of my sin, but not that sin. I just feel so wretched, feel so awful that I've done this thing that your blood couldn't possibly have washed it all away. Couldn't possibly. And that's like competing with what God is saying. Okay, God actually says in his word, let me find it, I have to jump back. God says in Hebrews, such a high priest, meaning Jesus, he truly meets our need. One who is holy and blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests who do not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his sins and then for the sins of the people. No, no, no. He sacrificed for all of our sins once and for all when he offered himself. He's it's done, it's finished, everything. Any sin you have committed, any sin you're thinking about committing right now, and any sin you might go on to commit, Jesus' blood has cleansed it, has washed it clean. Damien yesterday told us about some of the, some of the stuff he got up to in his life before he'd really met Jesus. And it wasn't pleasant. It was like, I've not heard a lot of it. It was like, wow, that is quite shocking. That's quite some bad stuff, Damien. You were a bad boy. And Damien knows from the bottom of his heart he's been forgiven. He's not going to stand here and say, oh, God, but that was so bad. I did, like, robbery and, and drugs and stuff. He knows he's forgiven, and you can know you're forgiven for whatever you've done. Jesus' sacrifice was enough. So in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's my second point, if you hadn't been picking it up. To live in a right relationship with God, you accept you're forgiven, and you forgive yourself. You must do it. It's about being obedient to God. To forgive yourself. Don't wallow in your own sin. It doesn't get you anywhere. And now, my um, second story is, again, from the life of David. Um, and this is about forgiving others. So this is going to be 2 Samuel. Oh, let's find it. No, it's not. It's not that. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna recap the story. So this is about when um, David, as a young guy, is called to come and work as a musician um, for King Saul. King Saul is one of the kings of Israel. Was king, first king of Israel, and uh, he calls David to come and work for him as a musician. But for many reasons, God is displeased with Saul, Saul, and he's beginning to downgrade him. He's beginning to slowly shun him from the position of king. And he's beginning to slowly raise up David alongside him to take, ho- to take over to be king. And he does this by David finding great favor in the eyes of all the people in Israel. And when Saul realizes that this little musician guy is killing tens and tens of thousands of men in battle, and Saul is only killing not that many, Saul just gets really jealous. He just gets really jealous and bitter. And it actually says that Saul comes under the spirit, comes under the influence of an evil spirit. And there's times when David is playing, playing for Saul and Saul just gets filled with rage and bitterness and jealousy that David's so successful. He said he just picks up spears and starts lobbing them at him. Like the, whoa, what, really? Poor David. 
And essentially what happens in this story is Saul chases David, David runs away, he gets pursued, Saul tries to kill him, David dodges it, and this goes round and round like this through this. It's a good read, honestly, read it. Um, and David never does get killed by Saul. But there are these opportunities where Saul is um, asleep or whatever, and David comes around and his men tell him, Saul's here, there's a good opportunity. Should we just end this? Should we just, like, let's just pop him off right now. Should we kill him? There's a spear, let's do it, let's get it done, and you'll be free of it. And David doesn't. He doesn't. He's got this enemy that is hunting him and chasing him and making his life a misery. He is really an enemy. And David, in the Psalms, you see him reflecting what it's like to have an enemy. Do you know what it's like to have an enemy? Do you know what it's like to feel pursued and chased and hurt? Do you know what it's like to be bullied and victimized? This is how David was feeling. He's got this enemy, and the Psalms are full of his raw emotion about it. But in the narrative in Samuel, he's quite objective in what is true. Despite his feelings, he's true to what he knows God wants him to do. And um, David lived in a time before he knew that Jesus had paid the price for his sin before he truly knew from the gospel that God was so for him. David just kind of knew it. He knew, he lived under, under Jewish law, but even through that law, he knew in his heart that God was for him and that God loved him. And he knew that, he knew that God really valued him. And so David says, as surely as I valued, as surely as I valued your life today, so the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. And he says that to Saul after he's told him, do you know what, I could have killed you last night, but I didn't. could have killed you, but I chose not to. Because I know God values my life. I know God values your life. And so, in, and so I hope God saves me. And later on he, he says, may the Lord judge between you and me, Saul. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you've done. But for me, no, my hand will not touch you. That is an amazing grasp of forgiveness. First of all, David must have had such a grasp of God's love for him to be able to, from his, to, be able to really allow his behavior to be informed by his belief that even the person who was trying to kill him when he had the opportunity to demonstrated kindness and mercy and grace and forgiveness. That, that is an astonishing example for us, for me, to be, to be able to think about. And it, again, he didn't allow that enemy and that hard period of his life to rob him of the hope that he has in God. And so we can learn from that. The hard stuff, the people that hurt us, the people that want to try and rob us. Actually, we need to be wise that the devil prowls round like a roaring lion, wanting to devour us. We have this hope, don't we, guys? But the devil wants to bring us down. He wants to, he wants to rob us of it. And one of the ways he'll do that is through unforgiveness of people around you that are hurting you. And Jesus says you can be free from that. Now, this is a really important point, is that we absolutely must forgive. We must do it. We must be obedient. We must forgive those who hurt us. But if we don't, it's not our salvation that's at stake. You are still saved. That hope is still yours. That deposit, that down payment is still yours. 
Because if it was dependent upon whether you had to forgive people to maintain it, if I had to keep forgiving all these people, otherwise I'd lose my salvation, that would be me like working for it, wouldn't it? I'd have to keep working. Oh, they've, they've annoyed me. They've hurt me. Oh, they're eating too loudly behind me in the cinema. Oh, that happens all the time. Oh, I'll have to forgive them or I might lose my salvation. That's not the way it works because that then becomes a works-based gospel, doesn't it? And we don't believe that. We believe that uh, the gift of salvation and grace is a free gift so that we don't earn it. It doesn't come from ourselves. It's given as a gift. So your salvation isn't at stake if you don't forgive, but that connection to your future hope is at stake. Your intimacy with God, your intimacy with Jesus is at stake if you can't forgive yourself and if you can't forgive others. And it's amazing how holding on to hurt and pain in your life really holds you back and really hinders your walk with God and makes you lose sight of that hope. So maybe you come to New Day and you see all your mates jumping around in the big top singing these songs. And you're thinking, yeah, I do believe it and I like this song and this feels good, but like life is really hard because... My parents have split up and this woman came in and snatched my dad and now he loves her and I live with my mum and it's sad and my mum's really hurt. Or maybe you think, yeah, I do love you, God, and I want to live my life for you and thank you that, phew, when I die it's going to be great. But right now I'm living with being raped. I'm living with being abused. Or actually I know when I leave this big top... Just bullies in my youth group, bullies at school, just making me feel really low all day, every day. And that is so difficult, so, so difficult. And the way out of it is a really bold choice. It's a choice to forgive. It's a choice to extend the forgiveness that God has extended to you in in, in seeing you in your sin and choosing to raise you to life out of love and kindness. It's you choosing to say those people that hurt me and really wind me up, why did you do that? It's choosing to say those people are just as valued by God as you are valued by God. But I bet they probably don't know it and that's why they're being so horrible. That's a really, really hard thing to do. Don't get me wrong. Forgiveness is massive. But it's not impossible with God. You don't just have to do it in a, in a cold minded kind of way actually God wants you to do it from your heart he wants you first to understand how much you are loved and how much you are forgiven and from that you can extend that forgiveness to others it has to come from your heart otherwise there's no point you have to get to the place where you're saying I understand that person is is rotten inside and they need God and I pray for them to be restored as I've been restored and it means you get to the place where you actually wish them no harm It's all very well thinking, yeah, okay, I forgive you, but I wish you'd just fall down the stairs and die. Like, that's not really true forgiveness. It's not letting people off. It's it's wanting them to be punished. God doesn't do that to us. God sees us in our mess and he wipes us clean. And he says he chooses not to remember our sin. He chooses to not look at it. He lets us walk free. And he doesn't blag about it to, to our friends. I do this sometimes. You know, I'm terrible. Yeah, I'm just as bad as anyone else. You want to punish people, don't you? Even little things. You just want to, you want to downgrade someone's reputation. But true forgiveness from your heart means someone hurts you and you don't want to wreck their, you don't want to wreck their reputation. However, 
we have to work within the laws of our land. And if you've been hurt in, a, in, a, in an abusive kind of way, and even if you're going through bullying at school, it's not lack of forgiveness to go to the police and say, I've been abused and I need help. Because the, Lord of our la- the, the law of our land says that those people need to be brought to justice. And that is wholly godly and wholly right. You're not not forgiving because you tell the police. And you're not not forgiving because you go to someone in your workplace or your schools and you say, I'm being bullied. They're making my life an absolute misery. I don't want to come to school. I don't really want to be alive. That, that's the reality of actually what bullying can feel like, isn't it? Let's not beat about the bush. But for you to be able to completely forgive them, you can still go along, you can still do those things alongside. And that's actually really important that you do do that. Right, it's just a bit of a tough bit for me, but I'm going to go for it. I'm going to demonstrate how you can pray here. All right, this is how I prayed. This is how I prayed to God when, after a long time in my life, God had done amazing things in me. He'd really put his spirit in me, filled with spirit, knew the hope I'm called to, know that God loves me. And then I had these memories that I recovered. Well, they, they kind of came back to me. And I had to pray, dear Lord Jesus, I forgive my for for a short time in my life when I was younger, to an extent. And I want you to forgive him as you've forgiven me. I don't want you to show him up. I don't want him to face shame and disgrace. I want him to be forgiven, and I want to release him. And I prayed that. And I also prayed, Lord, help me, because this has made me feel ashamed, dirty. This has made me feel embarrassed when I got married. But I want him to be released of it. And I didn't tell anyone for years because I didn't want to show him up. Genuinely from my heart, I thought, what have you done? Why did you do that to me? You are messed up. You need God. But I had God in my life. And he helped to shield me from the consequences of what that might look like for me in my life. And some of you, you haven't got God in your life to the extent that I did. And I'm not boasting. I didn't do it. God revealed himself to me. I put myself in the way of God a lot. I prayed and I read the Bible and I sought God for my life. And he came to me and he did it in me. And that's what you need. If you're going through times of hardship and you've got really tricky things, you need God. You need God to come and help you. And he carried me through that. And then around the same sort of time, I had to pray another prayer. Because I realized that my dad had been having affairs pretty much all through his marriage to my mum. And it was horrible. The pain I saw that it did to my family, the pain that he caused to my mum, such an abusive relationship to be in. He, he was constantly, from his own weakness and his own sin, his own emptiness, was going to other places for comfort rather than being faithful to the marriage. And the fallout for our family is still, still raw, still bad, still really broken family. And I prayed, God, I choose to forgive my dad. And I don't want this to hold me back. I release him. I I don't want to feel bitterness towards him. I don't want this to hold me back. I commit him to you. I say you judge his actions, not me. Because you raise me from death to life. I, I haven't done that, but I've done bad things. But God's got mercy for me. How can I judge you? 
And this heart is not, you know, I can't boast in this. As I say, I still battle with unforgiveness. Honestly, if you sat behind me in the cinema and you're eating loudly, I'm planning how I'm going to kill you with a spear. <laughs> so I'm not the finished article. And I do, I have to get on my knees there and then in the cinema and pray for the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I might kill you. Um, <laughs> nah, not really. But what I'm saying is, we, uh, to hold on to our future hope in God, for that to be a reality, we need to pray for faith. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to make that a reality for us so we feel it. And part of feeling it is feeling that we need to be in right relationship with God. We need to be in right relationship with ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves when we mess up, knowing that he is for us and has good plans for us. We need to be in right relationship with other people, which means letting people go, letting them off the hook. And actually, we had a word in our prayer meeting this morning um, that there are people here who feel like they have a great weight on their life, a great weight on their lungs, maybe, just a pressure, a weight on them. And it was a word to say, God wants to set you free from that today. And I believe that is spot on with what God's been saying to me, that some of you guys in here are living with a real weight of pressure, of unforgiveness. It's not that you don't know your future hope. It's not you don't know when you die you're going to be with Jesus. It's not you don't know that he loves you. But you can't translate that to get you through life. You can't translate that to every day to deal with tough relationships and to deal with your own failings and shortcomings. And God wants to heal you. He wants to set you free because he hasn't rescued you. He hasn't died on the cross for you to remain in darkness. He rescued you to bring you to a place where you can journey with him towards this hope and have peace and joy and light in your life. And I can testify I've had that. And I've been through some stuff, but God has been with me. I'm living testimony. Believe me, if I can impart it to you, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to live with this weight. You need to be obedient to God. And when you're obedient to him and you live in the way he's calling you to live, you can know freedom. You can know joy. You can know peace. You can forgive them and move on. You can forgive yourself and move on, knowing that you're forgiven by God. So, let's respond. Do you want to stand up? And I'm going to pray. Yeah, I just ask you to stand. Hold out your hands. Close your eyes if you want. I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, I pray you would... Come now, Lord Jesus, would you send your spirit to rest on us as we take in this message of needing to be obedient to you, needing to walk the walk that you've called us to walk, a walk towards a future hope which is wholly, entirely ours, but that we need to journey towards with you. Holy Spirit, would you begin to work in our minds and our hearts on the things that try and rob us of the reality of this this hope that we have. Holy Spirit, would you bring those people to mind that we need to forgive? Would you give us the courage this morning to begin to walk out of that unforgiveness? Would you raise in our minds the things that we need to let ourselves off the hook for? God, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you come and show us your kindness and your mercy once again? Would you come and remind us that we are wholly yours, that we are clean, 
that we are now without sin because of your once and for all sacrifice. And so there's nothing we can't forgive. Nothing we've done, nothing anyone else has done. And Jesus, I pray for those that are battling to know how to live this life in light of that amazing hope. Would you come and fill them with your spirit? Fill us with your spirit that we can, we can have faith. We can truly believe. We can be confident of that hope. Even though we don't see it out working. Come Lord Jesus, give us confidence by your Holy Spirit I pray.